Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to starting a counseling practice podcast. So as any me, I'm Miranda Palmer, one of the therapists here and one of your hosts, and we have a special treat for you today. We have the amazing, amazing Barbara Griswold from Navigating the Insurance Maze here to talk and share a little bit about a subject that probably brings you a significant amount of anxiety and Um, Because it does bring us anxiety often, it can lead us to shut down and actually put us at more risk. So our goal today is to help lessen the anxiety a little bit so that you can be more aware and present so that you can be more protected so that your clients can be more protected. Um, And so we can kind of demystify this juicy little topic of insurance audits. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Barbara, do you want to say hello and share your um, web address for people who are um, popping on? Hey, yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Barbara Griswold. I am author of Navigating the Insurance Maze, the therapist's complete guide to working with insurance and whether you should. And that is now out in its ninth edition. And my web address is theinsurancemaze.com. And uh, you are welcome to contact me through that. Um, I also have a blog, basically, which is what every therapist should know about insurance. And not underline every therapist, not just those of you who work with insurance. And mm-hmm. uh, please get on my mailing list so you can be alerted to all kinds of changes in the insurance world that uh, impact you and your clients. And let me be clear, I'm actually on like maybe three insurance or I'm not insurance, three therapist newsletters that I read religiously, like I read consistently and yours is one of them. Um, Like really, truly, there's always great information. It's always information I'm passing, passing on. Um, I counsel like my coaching clients to be on as few emails as possible, just because it's too it's too easy to get overwhelmed and then shut down. And yours is one of them that I'm like, you need to be on this newsletter. It's you're so incredibly informative, so connected anyway. So check out, get on the newsletter. If you're not there, it's worth it. I I would even say our newsletter is amazing, but our newsletter is optional. If you already have your private practice where you want it, you love it. Ours is optional. Barbara's is not period. Wow. Thanks for that. I'm going to I'm, I didn't pay her for that, but I, I'll send you $500 afterwards. <laughs> you could just, um, maybe just, you could uh, cut it out and put it on your testimonial, <laughs> testimonial on your website. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So let's talk about just, I, I mean, we're going to have you down for a training, but also we know that we're, we had so many people order register for this training about insurance um, audits and how to protect yourself and your clients, how to prepare for them, because they, they happen. Whether you're an insurance contracted provider or not, you are going to get a request at some point in your career. If you haven't already, if you already have, you're going to get more. This is just part of 
the current doing business experience. You're going to experience that. Um, and we're struggling because there's actually almost 5,000 people who've already registered for the free training that we're, that we're doing on July 20th of 2023. And so we're struggling to figure out if we have a platform where we can accommodate everybody. But if you can come, if you're already registered, or if you're not, like go check it out, zinnime.com forward slash free to come live. But we're going to try to give you a little base information today, regardless of if you can come, um, because this is really, really important. So Barbara, what is an audit? What, <laughs> what does that actually mean? So, so yeah, this is a, a very misunderstood term. There's a lot of disinformation out there, fake news about <laughs> audits. Um, I guess the first thing I want to say is that we we constantly hear our colleagues saying, I got audited, I got audited, I got audited, oh my God, oh my God, the sky is falling. Um, <clears throat> I want to say about one to 5%, and I'm just making up numbers, are probably an actual scary audit. Um, the rest are either not audits at all, uh, there's some kind of a clinical review, which we can talk about the difference. Um, they are some kind of a statistical review that has no bearing on you. They're not looking at you. I would say most of them have nothing to do with you at all. Mm -hmm. And they most of them have nothing to do, like they're not calling you out. Yet also most of us take them wildly personally. I get calls all the time, whereas I think this, I got audited because one person today said, I because I made a referral for couples therapy. I'm like, no, this has nothing to do with that. Or I, I know why, because I, you know, this, because I, that, because this client is difficult. You know, 99% of the time that has nothing to do with it. You were randomly selected. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I just want to tell everyone is don't panic if you get a request for records. First, as, as Miranda said, they're very much a portion of doing business as a therapist. This is just something you're going to experience probably. One survey I did, 80% of the therapists said they had already gotten one. And to the other 20%, I would say, your turn is next. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a matter of if you're going to get a record request, it's like when. So don't panic if you get one. That's just, hey, I'm a therapist. Yay. I This is the part I don't like. But most of them, the, the point I try to make is they're not like bees with a sting. They're most like gnats that are an irritation. You know, mm -hmm. they're just kind of buzzing around and you got to deal with them. But most of them don't have any bite to them. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, I can talk about the different types of audits and, and which ones you need to be nervous about. But again, something that you just have to know up front is that most of them have no consequence for you and you can just be like, breathe when you get them like, oh, this is an annoyance. This is going to take a little time to respond to. But in many, many cases, you don't even have to send the records even when they request them. So that's a, an interesting little point for some of them. I love that space of, of shifting the viewpoint from a records request from an insurance company or an external organization as it being something dangerous to it possibly just being an annoyance and not seeing all requests the same, being able to like really pause and like read through the request, really like, <laughs> like really like read through yeah. it. I have people who schedule a consultation with me. They wait two weeks to see me, they get there and I'll say, okay, do you have the records request in front of you? And they'll either say no, <laughs> or I'll say, what did it say? And they'll say, I don't know, I was too scared. 
to yeah. open it yeah. or I opened it. I saw it was a records request and I didn't read it. I was too terrified. So our level of anxiety is just through the roof about these things. Yeah. And it keeps us, as you said at the beginning, from even taking in information and making good decisions about it. So although this person made a great decision, which is reach out for help and yeah. help me understand what kind this is. So I am available for that. And that's what I tell you, reach out to your professional association, reach yeah. out to me. Unfortunately, some professional associations know better than others. Yeah. They hear the word audit and they go right to helping you with a kind of audit, which it might not be. Yeah. But definitely you're, reach out to me and I will tell you, you know, have the letter in front of you, yes. send me a copy and I will write back to you and say, this is not one you need to be concerned about. This is this, or this is that. So I, I love that. I think that, I think there's also something about this that it really taps into, which is, and it's kind of connected to um, the issue of subpoenas as well, is that we have a lot of anxiety about what is in our documentation. Like at, at the core of this, there's yeah. a lot of fear because oh, wait, I'm well behind on those notes. I haven't been doing those notes. Like, I don't, I don't know if I've done good notes. Like there's all this stuff that's related to documentation that makes us equally afraid of audits, of record requests, of subpoenas, because it's all these things where somebody's seeing something that we, I'm going to say it, and I know you don't like what I say it this way, but for a lot of therapists, they see their documentation as like their secret shame. Like they, they know that like what they're doing with the clients oh, totally is agree. like on board. Absolutely. They also know that like their documentation that, or they have a sense that their documentation does Correct. not reflect Correct. what they do with clients. Absolutely. And the, the only good thing I would say about these audits or any kind of, we're just going to use that term in place of records requests for, for today, but any kind of records request is that sometimes it makes people stop and say, okay, my documentation has been out of control. I know it's not good, or I haven't been keeping up with it, or I don't keep any. Some people, I've I've had calls where I haven't taken a note in two years, or I'm behind my, two years of my notes. You get one of those records requests, and sometimes it makes you say, you know what, I need to deal with this, and mm -hmm. I need to start taking different kinds of notes, and please tell me, Barbara, what insurance plans want to see. So it kind of forces you to address that secret shame, which no, there's a ton of shame around our notes. But what I always say is we feel so much shame, but it makes no sense because it's like we never were trained no. to do these. So it's like expecting me to speak French when I never took a French lesson, right? Yes. So why would I feel ashamed about not being able to speak French when I never enrolled in French class and nobody taught it to me? So I don't think we should expect ourselves to know what to go in notes. I do think we all need to expect ourselves to learn. Yeah. And right now we are, if you are operating with an insurance company or if your clients are submitting super bills, it, you need to step up and learn what should be in your notes. But even if you don't deal with insurance, my argument is you could be sued by a client. Your client could file an ethics committee complaint or a licensing board complaint. Your notes have to be stellar and wonderful in a way that protects you and that describes the services you provided. And they're not your private little diary. They are your client's medical record and a client can request their medical record at any time. So we always need to be keeping our notes in a way 
that we would feel no discomfort handing them over to the ethics committee or the licensing board. So, you know, I don't want to get too far off topic, but the bottom line, as no. you say, is this very connected with how we feel about our notes. And if you can feel really good about your notes, then if you get audited, you're kind of like, oh, well, this is an irritation, but I feel really good about my notes. So go for it. I think, I think it's interesting too. Like you mentioned the, the idea that like, hey, it's like speaking French and no one ever taught me to speak French. I think also sometimes people learn note-taking let's say that was in, I don't, coming up the idea of German, which is kind of funny in terms of like working with an agency or working at the county and having a style of notes that was, that was necessary for this organization. Right. And the style of notes where they're like, this isn't helpful at all. And then sort of as a backlash against that going, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend 20 minutes on each 50 minute session doing documentation. Right. Right. And so this idea that it's okay to realize, yes, maybe you do have some experience of the language of an agency or county or Medi-Cal or Medicaid billing. It's okay to say, you know what, what I'm doing in private practice, I, it does look different. It should look different. There are some things I want to pull from there. Um, but I need to do this in a sustainable way, right? Like this needs to look different. I think the other thing that's related to that, that a lot of us really struggle with in private practice is that we have really unrealistic expectations of ourselves. So we are scheduling clients back to back. We're going over on every session. Um, we're seeing way too many clients per week. Yes. And then we're so emotionally and physiologically exhausted. The idea, like you, I've been there at the end of a session, at the end of the day, looking at a pair of notes and my eyes are crossing and just this space of, am I really being honest about integrating in documentation as part of my how I'm really charging, like, what does this really look like in terms of my caseload? Maybe I can see 28 people um, per week. Maybe you can, I couldn't, um, I couldn't see 28 trauma people. Maybe you can, maybe you could, um, but maybe you can only do that if you don't document one single person. If you're doing good documentation, maybe that's 15, maybe that's 18. Like, what is your number? You need to understand. You are professionally required to document, you are keeping a client's medical record. So if I had to sit myself down at one point because I was getting so behind in my notes, I was getting so burned out. I was feeling that stressor of that hanging over my head every night. I was bringing note type home. I'd go home, I'd eat dinner with my family and then I'd be doing notes way into the night and it was just getting ridiculous. And I finally had to sit myself down and do a little self therapy and say, exactly what you're saying. You have set up a schedule that does not allow time to take notes. And so you are going to go up. You need to change something here. And I basically cut out an hour of therapy uh, in the evening and then a half an hour, cut an extra half an hour in the morning for, for, and I just dedicated that. I wouldn't give it away for anything. It was just like, this is my sacred note time. You will not leave the office until you have done all your notes for the afternoon and in the morning. And I gave up income, a lot of income for that, but your sanity is worth more than your income. That's how I looked at it. Like not everyone can do that. I understand that you need every dollar, but at the same time, sometimes I feel like we are responding to the crushing demand instead of 
looking at what do I need to keep doing this because I want to keep doing this until I drop dead pretty much yeah not not that bad <laughs> but uh, you know we're our instrument we need to take care of our instrument and uh, so you need to think about that but do you want me to talk you started out by saying um about what's an audit do you want me to talk about the different types of audits this is such a juicy conversation where we're at because I feel like oh, okay all right I mean maybe I'm wrong but like I I feel like there's something about the people listening if we can kind of move through this space of people understanding that this is the core of it because I I do think there's something about understanding that and then they can come to the training because I, I do think there is something about that like if we don't even understand what is happening and what's in the way of us getting our notes done and having our record keeping in place then no matter what we know about like what an audit is, we're going to keep feeling anxious, right? Like there is something juicy about that, that I'm, <laughs> I'm so curious. You know what I'm saying? Like when you say, yeah, but I still think that if you are, have perfect notes, a records request is going to be stressful. Mm-hmm. And I, and I want to yeah. maybe. Yes. No, let's talk about it. What's the difference between like these different types of records requests and when does it become an audit and when does it go from annoyance to <laughs> you really need to have your liability coverage like we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this. we'll talk about this a lot more at the the w- workshop but um i just want to talk about just going very generally there are three general categories that i talk about number one there's a clinical review this is not, not actually an audit but people talk about it all the time this is when an insurance plan will call you up and say, hey, we want to review your treatment of this person. Can can we schedule an interview? And Mm -hmm. the first thing you should do is say, oh yeah, schedule it for three weeks and then schedule an appointment with me. (laughs) And we will, I'll practice. But this is not an audit. They're basically saying, hey, we've been paying for care for this person. And this can happen for out of network providers. You won't realize that, but even if your client is submitting a super bill to a health plan, the plan has the right to say, hey, we want to review your care. Mm-hmm. And it's a conversation. So this shouldn't be something that we freak out about. It's not going to go back and take money back. They're just about going forward. We need to talk to you about, um, you know, do we think once a week is is something we want to cover? Do we think this person is just seeking personal growth work or do they really have enough mm-hmm. here that we will cover them. So blah, 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 blah. But I, I don't consider that an audit. It's not an audit. It's just a clinical review. So people put that in the category and that shouldn't be. A records request then falls into two or audit falls into two categories. One is just a purely administrative one where if you're a member of a health plan, they want to see your, your that you have everything in the chart that needs to be in the chart. Mm-hmm. And it really has you either have it or you don't. You send in a, a medical record, they will say thumbs up, you have everything in here, or mm, you failed, you had a less than a 70%. So they have a lot of like leeway and fix it. And next time we're gonna ask, we'll hope that you went higher. So you're not gonna get kicked off the health plan. It's typically a quality improvement thing. So we're panicking again, or you feel like you were singled out. No, they have to do this as part of their quality improvement. It's just administrative. The most common type also in that category is 
what's called a risk adjustment audit. This is what most of you are receiving if you have received a request for records. Read through the letter and look somewhere on there. It'll probably say risk adjustment. It'll be somewhere on the in the letter and it'll probably be underneath the person's name at the bottom. It'll say risk adjustment department or send your documents to the risk adjustment department. If so, breathe an amazing sigh of relief. It's a statistical review and you probably don't even need to send the records at all, even though it asks for your records. You can probably send a treatment summary that you write up that's maybe 12 session sentences long and you just it's you don't even need to send your record so you can go no worries also so the only kind you have to worry about which are least frequent of all are what we call claims related and that would be either a you've submitted a claim and we want your notes before we process it <clears throat> or hey, we've paid on this claims, all your claims for this person for a year or maybe longer, and we now want your progress notes to go back and see whether we should have paid those. That's mm -hmm. the one that we could talk about clawbacks. <clears throat> and you hear all these things. If you go into Facebook groups or whatever, yeah. oh, it makes it sound like everyone's gotten one of these. And, you know, people are shutting down their practices right and left because they've gone bankrupt. And, you know, unfortunately, these groups, which can be very supportive, also can be like really scary. And uh, if you're in those groups, I don't know what you tell your folk, just be careful about t taking advice from them or even, yeah, just <laughs> if you get one of those, contact me, I'll walk you through it. But even those can go fine also. So, um, and the two companies that are doing that the most are Medicare and Optum. So if you work mm -hmm. with those companies, you just need to have extra good notes. You just have to have like so awesome yeah. notes. And, and that's something that if you don't currently have, contact me or I have a webinar all about what should be in your notes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying, my new mission in life is trying to prepare people so that you know in advance the things they didn't tell you, which is, what your documentation should look like, what your treatment plans should look like. So if they do reach out to you, you can go, you can sleep like a baby because you have great notes, right? Yeah. I think the other thing that's kind of interesting and you may not like me saying this part of it, but it's like some of the people that are talking about like, oh my gosh, they claw back all this money and it, it doesn't happen all the time. When it does happen, it's really scary. Some of those things were totally unrelated from any kind of audit. It was their own administrative review. Something happened where they decided that this person didn't actually have insurance or didn't qualify for the health plan. And so I've had several clients where something like there was nothing to do with their notes. There was nothing to do with an audit and the clawbacks happen. So well, I would say in most of the cases I've seen a clawback or for them to like, look at you, it's something like you saw the client twice a week for a long time mm -hmm. or you somehow fell outside of the normal. You mm. So typically it's not that you did anything wrong, but yeah. you did something different and you kind of showed up on their computers as, so they want to look closer. And unfortunately, a lot of the times when people have to pay a lot of money back, it's either because their notes are non-existent, their notes suck, or they actually used the wrong billing code or, or did something actually wrong. I've seen cases where people have reached out to me and I had to tell them, no, you, <laughs> you know, you use the individual therapy code for, you know, two years for a, a couple sessions. They, you know, 
I'm sorry, but, or you didn't put the member's name on the, on the client's chart. <laughs> that, like they need to have that on the client chart. Or, well, and I think that's going back to the Facebook groups. How many Facebook groups do we see where people are making the recommendation that, yeah, when you're seeing couples, you can just fill under the individual. Yeah. That's without, like so I see that all the time and people yes. not understanding the complexities of that answer and that that answer is not often sufficient. Yes. And unfortunately, we're like a fishbowl. We're like, well, I reached out to my colleague and my colleague gave me this advice. So I give that advice to everybody and every this misinformation is passed around. And so, you know, if you're doing multiple sessions a week, if you're doing extended sessions, we don't really have those codes anymore. But uh, if you have an adjustment disorder and you're still five years later, have an adjustment disorder diagnosis down there, they might reach out to you and say, how come you have three years of adjustment disorder? Now, I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying that might increase your chance. Um, for something like Optum, it could be a 90837 using that code repeatedly. You're probably a little higher likelihood um, to using that 60-minute code every single time. And then they're going to look for well, does your documentation support it? Do all your start and stop times for therapy back that up that you never once had a client 10 minutes late? You never once had a client, you know. And one person who I was dealing with this week, they looked into his records and found that he had billed for some canceled sessions and missed sessions. So, you know, we hear, oh, they clawed back all this money, but we don't really know what kind of misdeeds these particular therapists <laughs> might, have, might have done. So again- yeah, that's not the thing that you're going to share in the Facebook group. Hey, I really messed up oh, and no. I was doing insurance fraud. And I, I mean, I have had clients who have reached out to me for coaching um, and have said, look, I've been doing insurance fraud because it was the only way I knew how to like take care of my family and I don't want to do it anymore. Can you help me get Absolutely. out from under this? Absolutely. And I, res I respect that. Um, but it does happen. Like it, it really does happen, but a lot of people can't own that experience, can't own that they've been coloring outside the lines and make a change. It's, it's hard. Yeah. Or, and sometimes it's, I haven't been overseeing my billing service. I've just told her what days, you know, they just didn't really notice what the insurance plan was or the billing service was coding it as. And, you know, there's just kind of a lack of kind of own, owning of the billing. And I hear that a lot. Like, well, I don't know what my biller put down for those dates, or I don't know what diagnosis they put down. I'm like, well, you're responsible for the codes and the diagnosis that are yeah. put down on every claim. You're responsible for every claim that goes out. You need to know what they're putting down and you need to document. So yeah. I think like, can we talk about that? Like, you know, we talked about the documentation, but I think this like responsibility part of this is your business. And if you are in network in particular, every single insurance company that you are in network with, you signed a lengthy contract and that contract often referenced lengthy manuals and lengthy other places and for a lot none of none of us read none of us read nobody oh, read nobody I, read. I do I do but none of you guys did. but I think this place of when when we're recommending to to a new therapist hey you want to open your practice and you want to be accessible 
Um, and we need more people that take insurance. So go get on all these insurance panels. It's really not always a good idea. Like at the very least, getting on one insurance panel at a time, understanding the reimbursement, really reading through, understanding so that even if, yes, let's outsource it, but ultimately you're responsible for the person you hire. You sign the documents that they sign. There's nothing like where you go, oh, well, it's well, there. Wait, wait, here's my even scarier piece. Now you have places out there like Headway and Alma and all these third parties. I'm trying to think of some um, that credential for you. They say, hey, we will pass, I think is one. We will take care of the credentialing. We'll get you on these panels. We'll get you more money. They take care of all the credentialing for you. It's like zippity zooza. I don't have to do it. I'm on an insurance panel. But one thing that I really notice is you never get a copy of your contract. You have no idea what you agreed to. You have no idea any of the terms of your contract, what you can do and can't do in terms of cancellations, what you can bill a client for and not, how do you get off the contract? You have to rely on that third party to take you off the contract, which there has been some issues with that. I have heard where they say, sure, we, we got you off the contract. You're no longer on the plan. And you're, yes, you are. And you try to call the health plan and the health plan says, oh, well, we don't have a contract with you. We, if you want to get off, you have to have the third party take you off and you have like no power. So in some ways you can't even, it's, it's bad enough that we don't agree. We don't read our own contracts. But now there's more and more outsourcing of the contracts where we don't even get to see a copy of our contract. And I, I'm very concerned about that, this third party thing that's happening. I'm curious though, like if there is an audit or if there is, if there was a clawback, would the clawback all come to Alma or Headway or would it get cycled through to the clinician? Clinician, yeah. You're kidding. Well, the clinician, if it's like a risk adjustment, because the risk yeah. adjustment audits will come to you, but it may come through. I've seen them already come through Alma and Oscar and things like that, where they basically need to come to you because you have the records, right? Yeah. So they're saying, hey, we want the records, blah, 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 blah. Um, if it's a financial thing where they have already paid, I don't think I have seen a lot of clawbacks through those major organizations. I have a feeling that they don't touch those big organizations as much as they touch uh, us little guys. Um, yeah. So I don't know about that. I can't really comment on that, but I don't, I haven't heard people say, well, you know, I just got a records or a claims related records request through headway or this or that. Um, but I'm curious what that, what will happen? Cause they're, they're also new. It's sort of like, and I know this is like a, a little bit of an early conversation, but a lot of people signing up with BetterHelp, which wasn't necessarily through insurance companies. Right. And again, therapists trusting, oh, I'm an employee. I'm not. I'm actually a contractor of this organization. Right. Um, the, this is a big organization, so I can trust them. And now the FCC has come back and said, no, you were selling protected health information. Like the FCC has yeah. had really strong words about BetterHelp. Yeah. And why could BetterHelp go and sell people's protected health information because they had therapists that inadvertently made it a viable business that we kind of made it okay by being employed by them and not really reading through those contracts. And as those contracts were being read through, the privacy policies were pretty shocking. And then BetterHelp had these 
crazy attorneys that would go and attack anyone who said anything <laughs> about their privacy policies. It was, it was wild. So I would tell people I'm a control freak and I like to do my own billing and I like to be as responsible so no one else is effing it up. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I learned by doing myself and I credential myself all along the way because I learned by that. And also I wanted to see the contracts. And yeah. so for me, my, this is my business. I want to keep very tight control and I want to make sure that no one is doing things under my name that I don't approve of, or I want to have the contract so I can complain to the company or whatever. So I'm not, a, I'm an old school person and, and that's probably not the new way. Um, but I think there's something to be said for watching out that you don't give away too much control. And if you do hire somebody like a billing service, watch over them like a hawk. I mean, don't be like, oh, well, I'm sure that they're submitting bills for me. I've had ones where they're like, oh, you know, it seems like they haven't submitted six months of bills. And I'm thinking, how did it get to the point where you don't know the answer? You haven't been following. You're just trusting that this person in there is taking care of that. So I think it's because we as therapists are not taught, just like we're not taught documentation and private practice. We're not taught private practice finances. Nope. And I'm going to throw out there that there's a reason that we have not a lot of diversity in the therapeutic community is because of this financial issue. So you end up with a lot of people that have a certain amount of privilege to not look at their finances, to not need to make a certain income. Maybe they have a spouse or they have a trust fund or whatever dynamic it is. And I feel like it's been really beautiful to see more single therapists, to see more therapists that from diverse backgrounds coming in and saying like, no, I actually have to make money. Like, this is actually like my career and my income. This is not a hobby. Like I, I remember hearing that even for myself as a, as a married woman, when I started my private practice and people were like, oh, well, you know you have your husband's income. And I'm like, my husband is out of work all the time. <laughs> like you have no idea. Well, a, there is a high number of, of therapists who have a side gig. I mean, and we're not, it may have nothing to do with therapy, but a lot of us work part-time at a agency or we work. I used to teach uh, resume writing classes on the side and um, you know, anything that we can do to bring in money on a regular basis and then we can dabble in our private practice, which my husband always said, you're always complaining. You either have too many clients knocking on your door or you're not enough. You never were happy with it for over the, the 35 years that you were in practice. He said, like, you were always panicking one way or the other. Like you felt too crushed to take on all these people and you felt terrible turning people away. But at the same time, if it if practice dipped down at all, you were like, oh my God, there's no one in my practice. <laughs> so... You know, it's hard to be in private practice. You're always worried that it's not going to be good tomorrow, you know, that people are going to go away. Or when people say, oh, I think I'm done with therapy. You're, sometimes you're like, oh, oh my God, <laughs> I'm going to lose that income. I think it goes back to that space of we're not often taught how to build <laughs> in some buffer to yeah. know that like, oh, on average, I right. need to have about 16 clients per week. Um, I can see a max of 18. I, I, I work in the fact that I'm going to have about this many cancellations per year, just in setting my fee Oh yeah. or figuring out what my minimum contracted rate can be. Because well, and then if we want to go down a separate, a separate, um, rabbit hole, 
I have a whole side argument about how client therapists do not charge for missed sessions, even though they have a missed session policy that most of us do not religiously implement it. And I have figured that out in dollar signs, like how much money are you giving away each year? And one estimate I thought was $12,000 if you don't, if an average therapist doesn't implement their policy or, you know, you have to not implement if your client goes to the hospital or something like that. You're going to have some you have to give away. You don't want them coming in sick. But the number of times that we nice people, I call it, I have an article called The Cost of Being Nice. (laughs) My estimate is this could be a $12,000 difference a year. Well, that's a lot of money. That's not, we don't realize it because it's dribs and drabs. But that's separate from audits. We don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole there. So if you want I mean, to. Well, well let's, let's just for a second, because I actually have some research about this. Uh-huh. We did some, um, we actually started doing a, what is that called? Survey of therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty juicy what we came up with. Um, <clears throat> just, and we'll talk about two pieces really quickly, because they both relate to why we get anxious about audits, in my humble opinion. One is that on average, just in running over on sessions, mm. therapists are working an extra three and a half clinical weeks per year unpaid. Mm. Three and a half weeks unpaid clinical work just by that I'm running over 10 hour or 10 minutes or seven minutes or 15 minutes, this many times a week, what have you. We actually had somebody who even responded where I was like, did you understand the question? They said they were running over an hour per client. So we threw those out. Like we threw out any like anomalies where we're like, something's clearly wrong. I think they misunderstood the question, um, but I don't think they did. And then when we looked at the numbers in particular, in terms of that charging, let me pull up so I don't um, misspeak misspeak it or what have you. Um, It was um, right at that number. It was actually, it's 3.6 late cancellations or no-shows per week, right? Which if you are charging full fee, that's $25,000 in lost profits based on what on average therapists were saying, how many clients they saw per year, how many weeks they work per year. Mm-hmm. And that it, even if they did a flat fee, right? A flat fee that wasn't their full fee, that was still $8,600 a year if they charged like $50 or something like that. So it was this really interesting thing of if you're doing this, you're looking around and going, oh, this is normal, but is it sustainable? It's not. No. And I I argue that it's bad parenting, basically. I mean, yes. if I told my kid, you need to be in bed every night at 10, and then every night I let them stay up till 12, what is the message I'm sending? No, that I had that policy and I had you sign it at the beginning, but really I don't enforce it at all. So there's, it's meaningless. So why are we teaching our clients that the things we say are meaningless? What, what well, is- while we sit in therapy and tell them how important boundaries are yeah, 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 and, and tell them what they should be right. saying and saying no to all the people around them. But and then, then we, let, we let them put anything in front of their personal care too. Like, <laughs> oh, I have gotten this one a lot. Oh, my hairdresser can only see me at three o'clock and I have an appointment with you at three o'clock. So can we reschedule? Well, sure we can reschedule, but I need to charge you for missed time. <laughs> you know, yeah. Put your hairdresser in front of me that's fine. That's your decision, but you need to pay for the time. Oh, well, never mind. Then I'll cancel with the hairdresser. Okay. 
you know, I think we just need to put it out there that yes, you get to make that decision, but you also need to, you know, you this is the re- this is the option. I can't believe forty five minutes has just like flown by. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> holy moly! Um, for those of you who are listening, like, thank you, Barbara, for this conversation. This oh. was so juicy. I always enjoy talking to you. It's just such a highlight, and I appreciate you taking out the time to share with everybody here your wisdom. And I hope you guys like let us know what you think about this. What is your takeaway? Go do a review or something like that. Tell us what you think. Um, or And check us out, zinnime.com. If you just click on the free trainings, you'll see the option to go and register. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed, if we can find a way. And to- if, you can't, if you can't get in for some reason, uh, I have a training on my on my website, which is available, which is yes. a pre-recorded kind of training. So you yes. can go to theinsurancemaze.com. She uh, has amazing trainings. The they, are for, they are for pay, but go and check them out. They, every one of them is absolutely worth like their weight in gold. Like it is worth the, I don't know, it's like 60 or hundred bucks, $150, depending on what the trainings are. Like they're all, none of them are over $50. So they're all low fee. Yeah. Check it out y'all. Any last words that you want to say, Barbara? Um, this is such a big, juicy topic, and I, I hope um, you'll find you you'll find out more about this because there's a lot to, more to say. We barely scratched the surface. We got so we got so interested in so many other topics, but there's a lot to say about notes. There's a lot to say about treatment plans, and there's a lot to say about audits. And this is such an important. We tend to go to all these clinical webinars and workshops, and this is a part that is so sorely under focused for all of us, we need to become, we need to own the part of us that is a business owner. And it's really okay to be a business owner. And it's not a sh- something we should be ashamed of. It's something we should get good at because keeping our doors open, doing a good job on the business side allows us to be the wonderful therapists that we are. Yes, yes <laughs> I love it. All right, thank you so much, Barbara. All right. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks so much for joining Barbara Griswold and I today. I hope that you'll be able to join us in person. Go and check out zinnime.com forward slash free to register for that training. You can also access over 15 hours of free training. Some of them even include CEs, APA and NBCC that you can check that out Um, and know that there is support for you you deserve to be well taken care of so you can keep doing this great work with clients. Until next time, y'all. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.